Hello there and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, December 29th, 2022. Oh my God, the year is almost over. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always by Mike Tanier, Senior Writer for Football Outsiders. And uh, we are going to be joined in a few minutes by Stephen Ruiz of The Ringer to help us preview Week 17, but he's running a little behind on another podcast he's doing, so he'll be, he'll show up in the middle of us doing things. Um, before we get into previewing Week 17's games, let's talk a little bit about some quarterback changes. I want to get your thoughts, Mike. First of all, on the benching of Derek Carr, soon to be ex of the Las Vegas Raiders. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. If they had some rookie on the bench, it's like, well, this is our time to see Desmond Ritter. Like, that would make perfect sense. They're doing this for Stidham. I, I can't shake the feeling this is some favor to Stidham to give him more work uh, because he's sort of been like a McDaniels binky going back to. Oh, I think it's because Carr's contract is only guaranteed for injury. And <sighs> they're like, funny. okay, we're going to trade Carr. He's not our quarterback of the future. If Let's make sure he doesn't get hurt. Well, that's a awful way to do things you know after how many years of service went from Derek Carr eight nine ten years of service don't like it like it, it needlessly sort of like humiliates him when he hasn't really been the problem by any stretch of the imagination this year and I, I don't like him uh Spags was joking with with me on Twitter it's like what's Devontae Adams going to do over the next couple of games it's very strange because the whole like part of the whole Devontae Adams thing was hey Devontae Adams gets to come to the Raiders and play with his old college teammate and their buddies Right. And now they're like, and we're going to trade your college teammate. Bye. Right. And, and I think they might have known that was coming when it didn't work out this year. And there's one thing to say, OK, at the end of the season, he's gone. That's business. There's another thing to say, again, this is a veteran who's been up and down, got the team into the playoffs last year, you know, by the skin of their teeth when they lost their coach and everything. And now it's like, eh, screw it. Yeah, I guess because of injury or whatever, we're going to give this ball to a guy that, you you know, I know anybody who watched the Patriots closely know has nothing to offer. Nothing. I don't see what McDaniels gets from humiliating a veteran that's respected around the league, and that's kind of what he's doing right now. The only thing he gets from it is if the contract is guaranteed for injury and they've made the decision, yeah. he's not the quarterback next year. This, so, this has to mean he's gone. Like, so is this, There's no other explanation. So is this a Mark Davis money? Like I don't have two, two pennies to rub together anymore thing. Yeah, it, this could be Mark Davis's decision, not Josh McDaniels' decision. Well, then McDaniel has a problem with his boss <laughs> that's going to wind up having. Uh, that, that's the money situation in Vegas, right? I mean, right. Uh, where, are we, where, other, are we, where are we putting car next year? Where are we putting them? We're putting car next year. God, I've thought about that because I'm writing this thing for ESPN about yeah. predictions for each team. I don't know because I I put some guys back. Like, I don't know where I would put Brady or Carr, because, like, I thought to myself, you know, the Giants get take Daniel Jones back and the Saints take Andy Dalton back because they have no money and right. Garoppolo to the Jets because it just makes right. so much sense. And then, right. I mean, I guess Carr to Tampa Bay? Carr to Tampa Bay makes some sense. And Carr to the Colts is sort of like the meme. It's the joke. Oh, the Colts found another old quarterback. Yeah, I think the feeling is that the Colts are done with that. Yeah, that the I Colts think. will they'll have a high enough pick to take a quarterback and they're done with the veterans. Right. And Jim uh Stenschulte says car to the Jets. And I think that is a possibility. I mean, we all put 
pencil Garoppolo in there for obvious reasons. Right. There's 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 two. I mean, see, first of all, Garoppolo to the Jets makes sense because it's the San Francisco offensive scheme. Right. And because there are great receivers there and it's good, good place for them. Brady to the Jets makes some sense because they have a defense, they have receivers, they have a good offensive line when they're healthy, and he'd get to beat Belichick twice a year. It doesn't make sense because does Brady really want to have to beat Mahomes and Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Herbert and Josh Allen just to make it to the Super Bowl? Or does he want to stay in the weaker NFC? Right. Yeah. And play New York taxes. Yeah, and pay New York taxes. He doesn't really want to do either. I guess New Jersey taxes. I, I guess what? Well, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I've had, I've had to do this. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think car to Tampa. I mean, Tampa's going to be in such cap nonsense nightmare land. There's Stephen. Hey, before we even get to any games, yeah, Derek right. Carr next year. Where do you think he goes? Uh, where do I think he goes or where do I think his best fit is? I would say Detroit is his best fit. I think he ends up Houston somewhere like not, not groundbreaking. Oh, Houston would be a, like, here's our bridge quarterback to get us to our rookie kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think any team is like, I don't think it's going to be like the Stafford situation where there, a team is like, this is the guy that can take us to the Super Bowl. Cause I no, think there's no. like a perception about Derek Carr where, if you get to the playoffs, he's probably not going to give you his best football. And I think it's a valid feeling based right. on his career. So I don't know. Yeah. The other um, big quarterback change to talk about is Joshua Dobbs starting for the Titans, which is one of two things. Either they are benching Malik Willis and getting Joshua Dobbs ready to play in what is effectively a playoff game next week, or they want to make sure Malik Willis is healthy for what is effectively a playoff game next week, and this game doesn't matter, so they're sitting him and starting dogs. It's one of those two things. It has to be, right? Or Mike Vrabel just hates Malik Willis, which is certainly on the table. Maybe that was a John Robinson pick. Right, but that's the first like that's the first choice. That's the like, oh my God, we have to play Dobbs next yeah, week because right. Malik Willis is so bad. We better get Dobbs some reps. I, I feel like that's it, but we've seen a lot of Josh Dobbs. There's not, and I love Josh. I, I wrote a profile on him years ago. I talked about his aerospace stuff and things like that. Not a lot of there there in terms of like actually being able to throw the ball with any sort of accuracy properly off of normal footwork, anything like that to put, bring to the table. Yeah, and it's crazy how this team has kind of been running the offense when Malik Willis has been in the lineup. Like, there's, I think this is based on PFF numbers, only 18 option runs when he's been right. starting and his three starts six a game. That's insane to me for a, a player that clearly isn't good enough to be passing a lot, like a, a heavy volume of passing. And when you look at the results, those plays have been really productive. It's like plus 0.4 EPA per run when they run from the gun and then minus 0.39 EPA when they run from under center and they're doing it like at a 50, 50 rate, a <laughs> way that they haven't adapted the offense. I, I was really high on this coaching staff, but over the past month, I've kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of walking that back. I don't. I don't you know. know it's like every coach. Staff. Every coaching staff has certain things that are strengths and certain things that are weaknesses. And how to structure the offensive scheme around their players may be their weakness, right? Being aggressive and motivating players in the locker room—that's Rabel's strengths. It's. But maybe we're learning this is what the weaknesses are. 
in, installing a read option when you've already installed a read option because Ryan Tannehill runs a read option isn't that big a deal. I, I was never a big fan of the coordinator there. Rabel's Rabel. I think he does a lot well, yeah. but like that's weird. And the fact is, Willis, in terms of passing concepts, like last time I saw him start, like they're repeating plays. They're repeating plays that he's comfortable with. And that's just not a very good sign this time of year for somebody who had a full preseason, played a ton in the preseason, should be further along, I think, than where he is right now. And it's like quick game plays. It's not even like shot plays down the field, like off play yeah. action. Like what's the upside there, especially for a quarterback that we know is not going to be efficient on those plays, not the most accurate quarterback. He's not the most efficient when like reading out plays and getting the ball out quickly. It just, it, I mean, I'm, I'm a layman. I'm not a, a coach. I'm not a professional coach. I've never put together a game plan, but it just seems like malpractice to me. Yeah. Well, I don't know what they're going to do with Dobbs because Dobbs, anything <laughs> further down the field, he sprays, he runs. Okay. Right. But anything further down the field is like a real mystery, mystery. What they're, what they're going to do is run the same exact offense that they run for every other quarterback, I think. But with no Derrick Henry, what the heck's that going to be? It's going to be a loss. <laughs> and then yeah. next week is what matters. Yeah, fair enough. Because this week doesn't matter. So that's yeah. all that matters. For the and playoffs. somehow they're going to win next week and Josh Dobbs will start a playoff game. Again, he's a Maybe. fine young man. I'd love to see Maybe. him. I mean, he's a good – yeah, he's an interesting guy. Like, you know, not as a quarterback, but as a human being. Is there a way to build an offense around rocket science? <laughs> well, yeah, you, is you know, that what, what the Patriots are trying to do right that? now? New England, pa- New England Patriots. New England Patriots. Doesn't work. Not working. <laughs> Wait, that's rocket science? <laughs> right? Red Patricia is a rocket scientist, right? So that's your offense built around rocket science. And it's Todd Downing a pencil to put in his – it's very bad so hi steven ruiz of the ringer is here uh the world's foremost justin herbert fan that's right which is why we will not be discussing justin herbert today because that is not one of week 17's major games he's putting the kibosh on it now that's (laughs) the only reason i i I agreed to come on heaven forbid people might tune in for that just kidding man let's go let's roll Let's talk um, about the Panthers. Let's talk about Sam Darnold. So the, here's, don't forget, folks, by the way, if you're watching live on Twitch and YouTube, please bring on comments, questions about the games. Uh, let's start with Carolina at Tampa Bay at 1 p.m., where Tampa is in the playoffs with a win, but only 24% to make it if they lose. Carolina 66% with a win, out with a loss. And they beat Tampa Bay 21-3 to back in week seven. Okay. Sam Darnold, the last four weeks, three really good games. What the heck is going on? They're not letting him play quarterback. <laughs> I mean, there were option runs and stuff. I just I just did a pod with uh, Benjamin Solak, and he had a good stat. It was like 75% or 78% of their plays, their dropbacks have either been – no, their plays have either been play action or run plays. Yeah. And, like, no one else is over 72 over that span. Right. So – they're push, pushing the easy buttons for him and not letting him play quarterback, which has been the only way to get the most out of Sam Darnold so far. Like the stretch last year when they went three and zero, and everyone was like, Oh, Darnold, he's been turned around by Joe Brady. That's what they were doing last year. And then once it fell apart when defenses adjusted, it fell apart and it looked really bad. Uh, I think that Ben McAdoo has done a really good job of tailoring game plans to attack what the opponent opposing defenses do week to week. And I would say for this game, that's been an easier target to hit when you play the Bucs just because of how they how Todd Bowles calls defense. They play a lot of base defense, especially on early downs. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more of those, those read option plays and a lot more of those bubble screens that we saw last week against 
uh, the Lions. One thing we saw against the Lions also, the Lions were a nickel a ton. They're manipulating to get nickel opportunities there. And then they're running out of nickel. They're running some option out of nickel as well. And Derek Klassen did a great thing at Football Outsiders. You can look at it in more detail there. Um, but yeah, against the Lions, they ran the ball super well. And of course, this creates easy opportunities for Donnelly as a good game. Against the Steelers, I, I fell asleep. I didn't fall asleep watching the game. I fell asleep watching the tape. That's how that's how bad it was, where it was just it was very rudimentary. And it's like, well, if we're not scheming up opportunities for Donald to get easy down and distance or easy play action, then we're just not going to score. We're just not going to move the ball in this situation. That's kind of what the Panthers are stuck with. Yeah. I feel like they've made a choice between like, we're going to try, we're going to try this simple game plan. Sometimes it will work, but I think it raises the floor because it's not putting in, it's not putting Darnold in situations to be bad Darnold who throws games away. So I think that's been a, a smart way to play Everyone wants to play like the ideal approach to football. Everyone would love to call plays like they have Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they have Patrick Mahomes. I think they realize that and they realize they have Sam Darnold. And this is how you have to play. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, it's absolutely worked. I mean, over this last month. I mean, you know, you can say they've made it easy on him, but people have tried to make it easy on Sam Darnold in the past. And he's never performed quite like this over a the problem is the people that tried, though. When Adam Gase is the one trying to make it oh, easy yeah. for you, it doesn't always make it easy for you. <laughs> Sometimes it has um, the opposite effect. The interesting thing about here is Tampa's decline, I mean, over the last few weeks. Since week 10, they are 21st on offense in DVOA and 18th on defense. So since week 10, Carolina has been the better team than Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, when Tampa has the ball, the Panthers are really going to miss J.C. Horn. Yes. I looked up. So this is the SIS charting numbers. J.C. Horn, 5.6 yards per target allowed. Hmm. C.J. Henderson, 8.7 yards per target. Keith Taylor Jr., 11.1 yards per target. That is a defense that is going to miss J.C. Horn a lot, especially when you have to cover. You know, I mean, the Bucks go three wide a lot, and you've got to be able to cover – uh, Evans and Godwin and either Gage or Jones. Yeah, you may have missed the news, Aaron, but did you not see that they signed Josh Norman? Oh, <laughs> they down, they I did lock down corner again. I Thank see that God it's Josh Norman. If it's 2012, that's great news. <laughs> Actually, it was not because he was terrible in 2012. I yeah. love the story that Josh Norman has was working as a barista because his family owns a line of coffee shops. It's not that he was working as a barista like at a Starbucks. Like, he owns the coffee shop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Backtrack. Josh Norman's been working at a jo – Josh Norman owns a coffee shop. Yes. yes. Okay. And so he's, he's been, been working as a coffee as a guy who pours coffee, but it's not like he's just like, oh, I don't have any money, so I have to go work as a guy who pours coffee. He owns the store. I'm I don't just, think anyone was claiming that he was like he was he was living check. To no, check. no. The first reports were just like, oh yeah, he's just been working as a barista. I just picture Odell Beckham coming in for a drink and getting a coffee dumped on his head. That's <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. And I want to see Josh Norman cover Terrell Owens when he returns to the NFL, which apparently is imminent as well. Yeah, I, I, I think the chance he has of being good. I tweeted out the Sports Illustrated cover from when Jim Brown was threatening a comeback at age 47. Oh, wow. That was more realistic than Terrell Owens. <laughs> <laughs> I like the verb there, threatening to, to make a comeback, because that's right. what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, the Panthers, the Panthers defense, I looked up some stats much better in base. They're seventh in DVOA in base and 27th in nickel. Like I said, Keith Taylor Jr. Terrible this year. Yeah. Well, I think if the Bucks spread them out, like I know their offense is in decline, but I feel like if they spread out the Panthers, they should be able to pass on. That, but that's the problem is like Byron Leftwich and his coaching staff just doesn't do the things that are obvious to do. And it's like when they do it, when they run play action, it works. And they stop running it for some reason. So on paper, I feel like if you look at these two rosters and you looked at the numbers, you could convince yourself that this, that the Bucks will win this one easily. But then you go back to that week seven game and they didn't do any of the things that they could have done. They could and do that this was before they were really in decline and they still lost to Carolina. Yeah. Point. And they had no answers for anything, like, especially on, on offense. It, it just feels like watching them that Tom Brady, like the way I look at his season, he's like a candle. And like at the beginning of the season, he was nice and fresh, but now he's just like dilapidated <laughs> and like just wax going down. He's just given up. I think he he's become sort of disillusioned to what he's in. Like, it the, feels the like that, the end of 2019. Yes, it does. That's exactly what it feels like. He he doesn't want to get hit, and I, I can't blame him. Why would you want to get hit to win nine games and lose, get steamrolled in the first round of the playoffs? Um, Sleep Pipe, Sleepy Time Junction wants to know, if you were the Panthers' front office, would you keep Steve Wilkes for next, next season? No. No. See, if I were me, I would. But if I were somebody who winds up in a front office, I probably wouldn't because I'd go – I'd be the kind of person – got to go chase Sean Payton down a rabbit hole or, 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 or the next hot thing. Right. I don't know if I'd keep McAdoo, you know. I, I, I feel see. like Wilkes has shown he's a reasonable head coach, but the, you want to take that shot at getting a genius. Yeah, that's and right. And I young, think young minds, whether it's a young offensive mind or a D'Amico Ryan's, like you want a shot at getting a genius. So you, Wilkes is, and Wilkes is not that. No, we know, we know that like even based on his time as defensive coordinator before he went to Arizona, it wasn't like the best defense. It wasn't the, the defense actually fell off a little bit when he took over. And I think part of the problem with this franchise over the last couple of years is, and it dates back to even before the, like Cam Newton got drafted, is like a reluctance to just move on and just start over. I remember like, I think it was 2010 when they spent a bunch of money to sign like Charles Johnson and keep the keep D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stevens yeah. in town. They won like six games. Next, next season, they win one game and they spent like 50 million in the offseason to keep that team together. And then even over the Matt Rule era, it was, oh, let's sign Teddy Bridgewater. We need a bridge quarterback. Why do you need a bridge quarterback? You're a rebuilding team. There's no reason to have that. Oh, let's trade for Sam Darnold. Maybe we maybe he's the missing piece. What? Oh, let's trade for Baker Mayfield. Just start over. And I think keeping Steve Wilkes is another example of them refusing to start over. Yeah, I remember they went from Marty Herney to Dave Gettleman to Marty Herney. Yes. You know, so it's like, let's bring the other guy back in. Herney was the one. It wasn't Gettleman who signed those running back contracts. Right. That was actually Herney. And Gettleman tried to get them out of it in his right Gettleman-ish way. Um, but then they went back again. So, yeah, that, that kind of speaks to the hidebound way they do things there. And they just brought Josh Norman back also. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the line here is Tampa Bay minus three. The game is in Tampa Bay. What would your pick be? I like Carolina. I think their coaching staff is better. And I think these teams – like when you when you look past the rosters and the name recognition, I really think these teams are more even than people might expect. And you add in the coaching advantage. I'm going with Carolina. 
I'm going to throw a prop at you. And you're, if you're going Carolina, you probably don't like this. Buccaneers defense, anytime touchdown scorer, it's plus 600. Sam Darnold has not turned the ball over in four games. I hate to say the gambler's fallacy that he's due, but it's Sam Darnold. That's not a fallacy. He's due to be in a game where he has to do more than sort of handoff and manage play action. And at that payout, I'm thinking that, because I'm also thinking Buccaneers in this game. I just have a hard time seeing, like you said, I look at the rosters at this point and I say Brady in January and I think a win. Yeah, I think this is a game that's decided on first down. Like whoever wins first down when the Panthers have the ball, I think, because if they lose first down, I think that prop bet looks a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course the Buccaneers on first down is going to be a handoff for two yards, set up second and eight, third and long. Those positions Brady doesn't like anymore, but you're right. If they can, and I think the run defense is pretty good. They're going to get some stops on first down. That's what I'm looking at with that prop. Fight of a baby. Fight of a prop. I think, I think I like Tampa. The FO picks took Carolina, but I think I like Tampa minus three. Picks are the numbers are right. The picks are speaking to us. All right. Miami at New England. Uh, Miami is in the playoffs 86% if they win and 64% if they lose because they still can beat the Jets next week and probably be in it. New England only 16% in our simulations if they win and they're out if they lose. So uh, Miami and uh, Teddy Bridgewater, which I think despite the fact that Tua has been much better than Bridgewater this year, I think that that's a very small sample size. I think when you look at Bridgewater over the last couple of years, you say there's no reason why this guy should be that much worse than Tua when it comes to managing this offense. I agree. Quick note, Armstead did not participate. Listed with toe, peck, knee, and hip injuries. Oh my golly, that's like his whole body except concussion. Every level, every level of the defense. Yes. So Armstead sounds like he's going to be very limited if he plays. Eric Fisher did not participate for what that's worth at right tackle. Um, and there's some others along the way, including um, Melvin Ingram, Alec Ingold, the fullback there. So one of the reasons Bridgewater looked bad is because he was out there with the backup tackles when he played, as was the other kid, Skyler. So that's something worth noting. On the other side, by the way, Patriots, all their secondary, all their cornerbacks are hurt. So that causes another problem on the other side of the ball. Yeah, Patriots are number one, I'll point out, in PFR's pressure rate. So uh, if Armstead doesn't play, that just means even more pressure coming at Bridgewater, Yeah, uh, which is kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dolphins want to pass, but of course, New England is third against the pass. But like you said, injured cornerbacks, although they get a lot of value out of their safeties. So it's not just about the cornerbacks for them. Marcus Jones concussion. Jalen Mills. Uh, Has just been out for a couple weeks. Then Jack Jones. Jack Jones was out last week. Jonathan Jones is, is, is a limited participant with a chest injury. Also, I, other than Jalen Mills, I believe all the Patriots cornerbacks are four foot eight. And named Jones. Yes. Right. The, the, but the concern with the Patriots cornerbacks have been that they're too small. We saw that, especially in the first half last week. T. Higgins was like, hi. Yeah, right, exactly. He didn't even have to jump. It was like like when like a bully like holds the kid's forehead and he swings anyway. Uh, but you don't really worry about that with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Like Tyreek Hill will go up and get the ball. We've seen them do that. But it's not a situation where you're afraid that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be throwing. Like Teddy Bridgewater isn't going to take chances that Joe Burrow takes. So right. I don't know if the cornerback issue will be as big. And on the other side of the ball, going back to your point about Teddy and the small sample size, 
he never he didn't start a game and finish it when he was the presumed starter all week long. Right. Like he's played two games so far, and he's either been in relief of Skylar Thompson or, or Tua, or he went out on the first play against the Jets. So we haven't seen Mike McDaniel be able to craft a game plan for him and and see and see how he executed it. Right. I, I'm with you. I don't think that the fall off is that big from Tua. And I would say that because the big contribution that Tua has had for this offense is that quick trigger and getting rid of the ball quickly, especially on the RPO stuff. But they're so good at getting to their their concepts with different play types. Like they run that one play like repeatedly all, all the time. It's usually an RPO when Tua's out there where it's like a, a little glance route, a little post route, a wheel route, and then a guy comes in motion from the backside and runs a little flat. They've had a lot of success with that. They run it like as an RPO. They can run it as play action. They can run it as a straight drop back. And when you watch their film, they're not running a lot of concepts. They just get to it in different ways. So I think Mike McDaniel, if he's able to plan for Teddy, this is the first time he's going to be able to plan for Teddy. And, and we assume Teddy's going to finish the game. I think he can put together a plan that still gets the most out of his quarterback while still getting the most out of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. When he played against the Vikings, I think Tyreek still went off for like 170 yards. Explain uh, Mac Jones to me and the Patriots offense. Explain the Patriots offense to me. Do I have to? Yes. No, it's just a bad offense. It's a bad <laughs> offense. And I, it's I, a bad quarterback in a bad offense. I don't – I mean, I think he's an average quarterback in a bad offense. But I will say that um, I, I don't often quote Mike Lombardi, but I do think he has a point here when he says uh, an offense is a scheme. It's not just a collection of plays. And it looks like the Patriots are just going out there with a collection of plays that isn't a scheme. And there's a lot of like the reason why you run things like screens is to keep your keep defenses honest. Like nobody really runs screen passes as a way to like gain lots of yards. Right. Like the point, like if you gain a lot of yards, that's great. But mostly it's to keep defenses. And it feels like they feel like, like, well, this must work for us. So let's just do this a lot. Like, (laughs) Yeah, and especially when you don't have talented skill players who are able to, like, catch the ball and turn those into big plays. Like, the Bengals can throw a screen pass to Jamar Chase, and it might go for 70 yards. When you throw that pass to Jacoby Myers, it's probably going to go for eight at most. Right. But I do think, like, the infusion of of Kendrick Bourne in the offense last week in the second half showed that those plays work a lot better when you have players that can do damage with the ball in their hands. We saw Kendrick Bourne kind of make a couple plays. He had that one jet sweep that really sparked the comeback. Uh, but the reason why I say it's a bad quarterback and a bad offense is I, I just, I think Mac Jones, I think you need a quarterback that kind of mitigates the problems that you have personnel wise and scheme wise. And he just doesn't do that. Like there's no deterrent for pressing up on these guys and playing man coverage. Right. Cause Mac Jones doesn't have the arm strength to really test those windows consistently. Right. And then Mac Jones isn't going to scramble. I know he's been doing more of it this year, but yeah, when he scrambles and he gets outside of the pocket, it's like a two-yard gain. When right. like Mahomes does it, it's like a first down or a 50-yard gain. So right. defenses aren't worried about it. And I think that's the issue. More, Even more so than the play calling. I think play calling is a little overrated, unless you're like Kyle Shanahan or, or Sean McVay. But I just think it's, it's like, what do you want Matt Patricia, Patricia to do with these receivers and this quarterback? I don't know. You what have else. plays where two receivers are in the same place at the same time. <laughs> yeah, apparently, that's that's the uh, the solution I, to the problem. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times it looks like stuff wasn't installed right. And like one thing I would say, then they should be hammering the ball on the run. 
Mm-hmm. But of course, except they're running is that they're only 27th in run DVOA on first down. Like they're not a great running team. Like we think they're a great running team because Ramondre's had a few breakaways, but they're not really a great running team. This that is not an offense built for Mac. That's why I think they need a quarterback who can even numbers up in the, the run game because of the wide receiver limitations. There's no deterrent to loading the box up. Because what are you afraid of? Nelson Aguilar down the sideline? Do that all, <laughs> all day long. We don't care. So I think like the, I think the problem, the first misstep was that they, they made their offseason signings two years ago before Mac Jones was even drafted. Right. That is not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to get the quarterback and build around him. They they spent a lot of money on these guys and then drafted a quarterback who you can't who can't function in this offense. That was an offense built for a Cam Newton type quarterback. See, I feel weird though with you saying that because the fact is, last year he did function in this offense. Last year, Mac Jones had a He's good, good productive until year. when and, and then offense. what happened? And then you took Josh McDaniels away. No, it's and, no, it started the with the Colts game last year. What? It started with the Colts game last yeah. year. I think it was on Thursday night, and he was bad. He was like a useless player from then on out. He got so much mileage out of third and nine screen passes to Brandon yes. Bolden that got 20 yards. And that's a credit to the blocking. That's a credit to McDaniels seeing something, whatever. There was so much. I mean, Mac Jones had a few good games earlier in that season, but it was nothing more than the sort of what we see, like even like Brock Purdy now, the sort of mechanical yes. thing where it's like, this is the open guy hit it. Here's Jonu Smith. That's a mismatch or Henry, whoever it was hit it as soon as like we got through that seven eight games situation you're right it, it was it was on this downward trajectory and then you get rid of mcdaniels and then it just goes even further yeah that was mcdaniels big thing was he knew how to punish over overly aggressive defenses right. and i don't think patricia knows how to do that go back to the jets games the jets were just selling out to stop the run and he he didn't know how to stop he didn't know how to counteract it and and to be fair to him, Mac Jones wasn't hitting guys that were running open downfield. So it's kind of like that's why for me it's the offense, it's the quarterback, it's a lot of it's the team building, it's a lot of things. Right. Just one more stat. I've got a lot of stats here, but just one because we talked so much about Miami and passes in the middle of the field. All right. I will point out the Patriots are 19th in DVOA against middle passes. They are better against passes on the sidelines than the middle. And that intermediate middle that we constantly talk about with Miami's offense, they are mm-hmm. 23rd. Here's my question. How many passes are they seeing in the middle of the field? I think like an average number. Okay. Because I, I, Belichick like tends to build his defense. And I'm like this Belichick, the saving guys, they build it from like the inside out where they take yeah. away the middle of the field first. Uh, so I, like, I think the numbers could be deceiving if they weren't giving up a lot of targets and the targets they did just happen to be like good plays that they were like coverage busts that gave those up. But if they're giving up an average amount, I do think that's a concern, especially against the Dolphins. I think a lot of the success of Patriots defense has had is along the sidelines, along the boundaries. That's where they've been getting a lot of their big plays, turnovers, etc. Jack Jones, Marcus pick Jones six. playing well. The pick six the last week. You get pick last week on Barrow along the sidelines. Most of the Wilson picks were along the sidelines. And, of course, the pass rush is making plays, and then you don't know where the ball was going. Um, the line is Patriots minus three with a total of 41 and a half. Where's that? Where the game? Game is uh, in New England. Yeah. Patriots. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Dolphins. I don't think there's a drop off with the quarterback, like a big drop off. I think the offense still works, provided he stays healthy and we don't see Skylar Thompson. And then, as unsound as this Dolphins defense is, I don't think this is the type of offense that can exploit that. Yeah, I'm going with the Dolphins too. I mean, maybe I'm just a 
you know, fried Patriots fan, just fried after the last two weeks of uh, aborted comebacks and dumbest play in NFL history and everything. But I just, I don't think there's as big of a drop to Bridgewater. Uh, Sleepy Time Junction asks if there's any credibility to the rumor that Belichick could leave New England if given an ultimatum. I don't think that Robert Kraft is giving Belichick any ultimatums. I think, I think Robert Kraft feels like, you know what, like Belichick runs my team until he's done running my team. I don't think, I don't think Robert Kraft is going to be forcing Belichick out in any way. Is there any, any reason to, to think that he would be stubborn when it comes to like moving on from the offensive coordinator and the the coaching staff situation? Cause I think the defensive side is fine. There's this thought that as maybe as coaches get older, they become, more comfortable with people that they're familiar with rather than having to like teach a young mind how to coach the Belichick way. And that's why he's, that's why everybody's like, well, if they're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator, it has to be Bill O'Brien because then Belichick doesn't have to like teach him how to do the Belichick thing. If they bring in some outside guy, Belichick has to teach him how to do the Belichick do things the Belichick way and, and Belichick's tired and old and does he not want to do that anymore? And Whereas O'Brien comes in and he's like, just plug me right back in. Here we go. My question is, is O'Brien a bad hire as an offensive coordinator where he can't trade away DeAndre Hopkins? It's an upgrade. It's such an obvious upgrade from what yeah. they've got now. It's such it's an obvious upgrade. Like even right. if he's not as good as McDaniels, it's such an obvious off. It's an, an actual offensive coordinator. It's a big upgrade. Now, if he's yeah, he got some good play out of Brian Hoyer and, and uh, Ryan Mallett in Houston before he was given personnel control. When he starts red face screaming at Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, that would be fun. But again, it is absolutely an upgrade. But you know, you wouldn't have to teach like Frank Reich. You, I mean, you're Belichick. You can hire anybody who's who needs a job. So you can hire an old head offensive coordinator that's lying around. You don't have to bring in you know the next young McVay. But I think that to your point, like, would he be stubborn if Kraft insisted on it? And I don't think Kraft would insist upon it. I just don't see Kraft insisting on things. I just feel like Kraft's like, we tried that. We lost Parcells. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, sleepy time. I don't know. I was watching the lion in winter the other night in which it was King Henry and his three sons. And they, they were all bickering about who was going to stab him. And he was going to lock them all in the dungeon. And all I could think of watching that was, King Henry was Bill Belichick, and the three sons were Judge, Patricia, and Steve Belichick. And they were all just scheming in the dungeon to kill him. So that's my thought about what the relationship between Belichick and Matt Patricia is right now. Uh, Matt Patricia is like William the Conqueror or something, and like they're stuck together forever. There, there's your point. Let's, let's I, I, I kind of feel like Steve Belichick has gotten some like unfair criticism just because he's kind of been lumped in with the the Joe Judge. That's a damn good defense, kids. Like, the that is a five. good defense and not necessarily with superlative players. Yeah, I think if he was considering Patricide, it wouldn't be because like <laughs> left to overtake Bill Belichick. I think it would just be like he didn't spend enough time with him as a kid. <laughs> he's, he's the Jeffrey in all this. He's like trying to work in the middle. But also uh, Steve Belichick, the way this has been done for generations is you send Steve Belichick to work for Vrabel. You send Steve Belichick to work for somebody else. And then he becomes the head coaching candidate. As long as he's there, in my mind, it's going to be while well, he's doing what dad says, and that's who he is. So, yeah. you know. uh, Jets at Seahawks, 4 p.m. Jets are in 33% with a win, 2% with a loss. Seahawks, exactly the same. So 
Um, Geno Smith has been very average since week six. He's been kind of a little below average, but even the deep ball, right? The deep ball, which has been Smith's, the best part of Smith's game has only been average since week six. Tyler Lockett is maybe playing. His finger might be okay to play. Um, The Seahawks in general, since week 10, 16th in offensive DVOA and 31st in defense. Remember that like little four game period where their defense played really well? Yeah. Yeah, that's over. Yeah. Although they did have a good game last week. Although I think I do think Chiefs drops kind of inflated their production, but like two weeks in a row, they've they've handled good offenses decently, and I don't think the Jets are a good offense. So I could see them being competitive on that side of the ball. The problem is this offensive line, which has really hit a wall. They, yeah, those two rookie tackles were so good over the first half, and they they helped out a lot. Uh, but they haven't been playing as well. They've been getting beat and embarrassed against very good players. But the problem is the Jets have a very good defensive line, a very active defensive line. This defense is a lot like the 49ers defense. So What a shock. It's a lot like the 49ers defense. (laughs) I would have expected. (laughs) And my question is, I think this is a good game for Shane Waldron to prove that he's a dude rather than just like a a replacement level offensive coordinator. Because you had the 49ers defense two weeks ago. We saw how ugly that was because they couldn't protect. I want to see what he's learned from that game and how he's adapted in the two weeks. Because I I think that like over the first half of the season, I was singing his praises. I thought he was doing a great job, but we haven't really seen any adjustments after the run game disappeared. Yeah, the run game has been, it's really interesting. Seahawks running game DVOA by down 28th on first. 26th on second, first on third. <laughs> they had a bunch of breakaways. And they had a bunch of breakaways early in the year, which really helped them. And early in the year, I saw so much tight formation, so many three tight end looks, uh, things out of the pistol, et cetera. And it's like, well, these are good ways of you know getting Geno more comfortable and helping your rookie tackles because everybody's tight in there and you can chip and everything. That's As soon as that started to like slip back and it looked more conventional, that didn't make it better. It, 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 everything fell apart when they were doing less of that. And it seemed like last week they couldn't separate from man coverage. And I don't think Shane Waldron did a very good job of like calling man beaters and pick plays. They ran one pick play on fourth down and they got called for uh, offensive pass interference. And it was still like a tight window throw. There was still no separation. When you're getting flagged for offensive pass interference and you're still not <laughs> you're separation, something's there's a problem. Quick note, injury report. We talked about Lockett, who's going to try and come back from a finger injury, which seems ambitious for a receiver. Marquise Goodwin is on the injury report. Noah Fant is on their injury report, did not participate. So you're rapidly running out of guys to throw the ball to, which means more opportunities for, yes, he's still in the NFL, Laquan Treadwell. And, you know, when you talk about man, I don't know what a man beater for Laquan Treadwell honestly looks like in this world. So, uh, you know, you start running out of opportunities to get guys who can make a play for Gina. I think you need like like weapons to take down the quarterback to get him over. And he still might not catch the ball. Missile launchers come out. I was going to say, you take the defensive back and you forcefully remove him from the field. (laughs) Erase him. Uh, The line is Jets minus one and a half. I hate this game. Um, Yeah. Take the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 Jets. They're back to the wall and Mike White back to provide basic professionalism in that defense. I'll take the Jets. I'm going to go with Seattle. I think Gino's been playing a lot better than the numbers suggest. I just think everything around him has gotten worse. But I think I do think Waldron is going to be a good offensive coordinator. Coordinator, so I think he'll have something good. And this is a defense like 
they play a lot of zone coverage and that hasn't been a problem for Gino. So on paper, it might be a good matchup for them, but also they're at home. I think they win this game. I guess I lean Seattle, but it'll really help if Tyler Lockett's okay. Yeah. That's well, flip. I'll flip and, in a second. And sleepy time junction says, whatever happened to Brees Hall, he got injured early in the year. So yeah, he's, right. he's injured. He's out for the year. Yeah. I can't remember what the injury was, but he's out for the year. What, what's your prop on this, Mike? You had a prop you liked? The prop, since we were talking about Geno Smith, and the props this week are terrible. But the over for Geno is 0.5 interceptions, and it's at plus 125. Of course, the interception over for most quarterbacks is usually set at 0.5. Only Zach Wilson gets the 1.5. For Geno, it's 0.5 interceptions. Plus 125, he's had at least one pick in seven of his last nine games. And again, I'm operating under the principle there's no locket, which means there's not a lot of places to go with the ball, which means you're trying to force balls to guys like Redwell, which probably mean an opportunity. Plus, you've got sauce, plus you've got a great secondary. I'm I'm DJ Reed, and I approve this message. <laughs> and like with the pass rush, and we saw this against the 49ers, he has to get rid of the ball quickly and anticipate. And when you anticipate, there's a better chance of you being wrong. Yeah, that's the truth. I uh, want to remind people to make comments if you're watching us live. We're on 1 o'clock Eastern time. Watch. If you're listening as a podcast afterwards, you can come make live comments and questions 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, soon to be Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's going to be the playoff, the playoff schedule with me and Mike on Monday and Thursday and Kale and Jackson on Wednesdays. And Nick Foster says he does not know if the not Zach Wilson effect can overcome truly horrendous Jets run blocking. That's kind of a good point. They have had a lot of injuries on that offensive line. I watched the Zach Wilson tape against the Jacks. I honestly don't think he was that bad. Like his their average yards to go on any down was 12 and a half. Yeah, that was true. But it's because of penalties and they couldn't run the ball. And that's the highest average yards to go of any quarterback in this season. But we can also see some uh, Canadian Taysom. In a, in a role not as a starting quarterback, but a little bit of uh, uh, Chris Streveler action to help diversify that Jets offense as well. The worst thrower of the football I've ever watched on tape. Even no. worse than Tim Tebow. He's, he's not worse than Tebow. I'm calling it shenanigans. No. Did I, you see that? Did you see the one play where uh, it was like a tight end? He got wide open. He was wide open downfield, like 30 yards. And Streveler took like two extra beats to make sure he got the throw and still <laughs> underthrew it by 10 yards and made the It looked like me. Down. Look like me throwing. I'll, I'll say I'm biased because I watched Tebow in practice for like three different organizations and watched him against air throw flutter ball. So there, there are there are things in my Tebow brain that will never be unseen. So maybe if I saw well, struggle practice, I'd be like, oh, right. What's the football outsiders tra travel budget? Let's get Mike out to some Jets practices. <laughs> I can go to Jets practices anytime. Yeah, you show up at Jets practice, you might be you might get elevated above him on the depth chart if you throw. A <laughs> Uh, Minnesota at Green Bay at 4 p.m. Green Bay is in 48% of the time if they win. They're basically out if they lose. This is the Vikings' only win of the year by more than one possession. Week over. one. Week yeah. one, 23-7 over Green Bay, back when the Packers were a complete mess. That is the Vikings' only win of the year by more than eight points. Uh, we all know about the Vikings and DVOA and Pythagorean and everything else. Like they're having the most ridiculous, absurd year in NFL history. Uh, and Green Bay is suddenly hot. Uh, one of the interesting things I think is the Vikings, despite the fact that we all know Dalvin Cook, they're not a good running team. 
They're 26th in run DVOA, and the Green Bay is last on run defense, but it's not like this is a strength against weakness thing. It's a weakness against weakness thing. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that's been kind of underrated this season is that they're not seeing the same coverages they've seen in the past because of the run game. It's not as effective, so they're not seeing as much single high. They're not seeing as much cover three, and those are the coverages that are – are not so great against play action. And we know that Kirk, when he's at his best, they're running play action. It's been a new world for Kirk Cousins. And I think that's why we've seen his stats, his efficiency numbers at least, kind of drop back to around league average. And we've seen a lot more turnovers and we've seen more interceptions. But we've also seen more plays. Like he's taking more chances because he kind of passed to. I kind of like the Vikings in this matchup. I know there's been a lot of pushback against them and like they've been lucky but I think they match up really well, and I think the defense matches up really well against the Vikings' offense or against the Packers' offense. We've seen this Packers' offense kind of figure things out where they're throwing a lot of, like, scheme stuff to the flats. They're throwing a lot of, like, bubble screens. They're running a lot of jet sweeps, and they're, they're softening the defense to open up the middle of the field, which they couldn't access over the first half. Now they're getting that stuff, and they're getting, like, Christian Watson on deep overs, and, and Randall Cobb is catching passes over the middle. But the Vikings' defense – And they've gotten a lot of criticism for not playing a lot of man coverage and playing soft and playing a lot of quarters and backing off. But I think that's by design. They realized that Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator, looked at this cornerback group and was like, these guys can't play. Like, they can't play man coverage. Duke Shelley is smaller than the three of us. We could all beat him downfield on a contested catch situation. Patrick Peterson probably runs like us right now. He doesn't turn very well. Can't play man coverage. So You're a young super snapper, dude. Right. We are slower than Patrick Peterson. You're you're probably faster than Patrick. <laughs> I, I might be able to get open on him. I'll just say that. Give me a slant against him. I might be able to get open. But yeah. if my best player on defense was Harrison Smith, this is how I would play defense. I'd play bend but don't break and just hope that the quarterback will throw you one. And one thing that they've been able to do is take away the middle of the field. And I don't think they're going to give up those big plays. And that's the only way that this Packers offense works is if teams start overplaying the flat stuff and give up the middle. If they if they allow Aaron Rodgers to dink and dunk his way down the field and they and they don't give in, I think they win this game. Wow. I will note that the Vikings have eight percent DVOA on defense, allow eight percent in nickel, but minus eleven percent in base. So you want you're talking about the cornerbacks not being that good. You want to spread them out and make them get into nickel because the cornerbacks are not that good. By the way, Jim was asking if there is a prop for Minnesota to win by one to set. I cannot find it right now. I will look for that, though, because I'm, I'm afraid that that prop would be like minus 250 or something. <laughs> like Vikings. It could be minus 500. Yeah. I, I, will, I will present Stephen with an interesting question here. Can you think of any reason why an offense would be particularly good in a consistent way on second down? Uh I, I do think so. I think that's where offensive coordinators kind of that, – that's where you see the difference in offensive coordinators. I think knowing when not to fall into certain traps, like running a draw on second and long, and, and, and when to take advantage of situations where the defense can't hone in on a pass or a run, like in sh- second and short. I think that's where offensive coordinators really make their money in terms of like play calling types and play calling ratios. I think that's where it matters the most. This is one of the great questions that I've been trying to figure out because we keep, you know, DVOA stats by down and how real, 
like there's reasons to believe first down stats are kind of real. And there's reasons, you know, teams practice third down specifically, but you never think about second down. Green Bay is the best offense in the league on second down. And if you split the season in two, they're the best offense in the league on second down in both the first half and second half of the season. So that's consistent. The I think that's, that's, that's what I was getting at earlier is like they get into these situations where they just like flick the defense they keep flicking them. And all of a sudden the defense tries to go and block the flick and, and their face is wide open. They punch them in the face. And second down is where you're in those environments where the defense is like, we don't know whether to defend the pass or the run. So I think that's where you see the scheme stuff really show its efficacy. Right. I was just, I was just double checking. I, I shouldn't have had to double check you, Aaron. They're first and second and short. They're second and second medium, and they're first and second long. So they're just amazing on second down, no matter how you slice it. It's not like, oh, we're always in second and short because we have these great first down calls. And the, the last can... place, last place pass defense. So against the pass on second down is the Minnesota Vikings. This should. Be I don't know whether that, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see in this game. Does that mean something? But it sort of stands out. I think this game comes down to the Aaron Rodgers over under on interceptions. If it's under the Packers win, if it's over the Vikings win. It's Packers minus three and a half with a total of 48. I was this one's in Green Bay, right? It's in Green Bay. Yeah. I went with the Packers money line and under as my play of the week. Don't ask what my record on play of the weeks are this uh, this year. It's not good, but it remains my play of the week. Packers money line and under at plus 215. Our methods, Aaron, I think really like the under. Really like the under in this game, yeah. And I can see the reason why. And the money line prevents me, protects a little bit from shenanigans when I have to lay points with the Packers. I kind of like the under and then hedging with the Vikings winning. I think if it's a high-scoring game, the Vikings win. If it's like a controlled, play-calling, field position, coaching-type game, I think the Packers win. And remember, you could take the Vikings. You've got a couple points to play with, too, if you think it's going to be tight. So you can take them yeah. right out. And if you don't get the upset, maybe you get the tight loss. Uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore, flexed oh. to 8 p.m. Oh. Uh, Steelers are still in the playoffs 5% oh. of the time if they win this. Uh, Ravens, I'll tell you their chances of winning the division. 36% they win the division if they win this. 16% if they lose this. The Ravens won 16 to 14 in week 14, and that was a Tyler Huntley game, and this will be a Tyler Huntley game as well. Is that is the difference between their playoff odds based on whether the Bengals win this week? Because I thought that, like that. No, that's 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 uh, irregardless of whether the Bengals win this week. And and they're Monday it's, night, so you can't. It's yeah. right. That's 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 uh, all simulations. So both simulations where the Bengals win and simulations where the Bengals lose. Right. If the Bengals win this week and the Ravens lose, they're out. Okay. Yeah. It's over. Uh, I don't think Tyler Huntley is as good as he was last year. I think we've no. seen a decline already. Yes, like he I agree with you. Good. And this has exposed all the flaws in the Greg Roman offense that were, I mean, they were already obvious, but he still had some like key defenders that would be like, Oh, look, he's had a top 10 DVOA. That's all Lamar. This offense just doesn't work, especially with a quarterback. Like, I don't, I think this is the only team where he's even a, a QB two. Yeah, he doesn't have an NFL arm, and he's he's like a good athlete, but he's not a great athlete. I don't think he's a difference making athlete. Yeah, this 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 season has definitely brought an end to the to the feeling of Tyler Huntley possible 
starter somewhere. I don't think that that's the thing now. It's funny how those things always happen. The Nick Mullins, I remember when Nick Mullins, when 49ers fans wouldn't trade him for a day two pick. <laughs> it, well, it, you know, it's the first three or four games of a quarterback. You know, here here is everything he is good at, everything he's comfortable with. The defense hasn't seen it. They look good. And if they get a couple wins during that, suddenly it gets magical pop, uh, properties. I guess that brings us to Kenny Pickett. Does that bring us around to <laughs> on this side you know the pickets i I saw some things on the internet that made my head explode this morning i'm I'm having patrick mahomes ever since week 12 according to some folks (sighs) well right according to stats is different than actually better than according to the steelers uh there's a difference between better and more productive Stats, you know, stats may seem more productive you read what i read steven and yeah he knows he like knows saw the tweet i think (laughs) I did not see whatever tweet we're talking about. I apologize. I don't. There's a guy on on Pittsburgh radio that really loves Kenny Pickett, and he tweets a lot about Kenny Pickett. And he tweets some some reckless things about him. <laughs> so here here is, by the way, weakness against weakness in this game. Kenny Pickett is 32nd out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks on deep passes of 16 or more air yards. 32nd, but the Ravens' defense is 31st against those passes. Well. It- you know, it's he's probably 29th when throwing to George Pickens and 747th throwing to any other human because that is their the entire offense. Pickens is, right? Pickens is great on the sides. Pickett, Pickett, Kenny Pickett is better throwing to the middle than the side, but the Baltimore defense is much better in the middle than on the side. This is why you don't draft these guys in the first round. <laughs> Bill Belichick. Yeah, Pickett, like he's been kind of adequate getting the ball underneath a little bit. He's yeah. done some of that stuff, right? He is after that first couple of interceptions early in the game season, he's sort of like taking care of the ball kind of okay. And he occasionally launches ones one to Pickett. Uh, Pickett's. I can't think of anything else really positive to say about him. No. Like he's kind of accurate on underneath stuff, and that and that's where the, the quality's at. But I He's a quarterback. Like, I think he was miscast. Like, he was miscast as, like, a pro-ready pocket passer type of quarterback. That's not him. He's like a Baker Mayfield type. Where no, he wants no. To get Derek, Derek was really clear about that when he yeah. was writing about Pickett in the offseason. Like, he's not – like, yeah. the, the pre-snap uh, – the pre-snap uh, is not his thing. Right. And post-snap is not his thing in the pocket either. Like, he's, he's a frantic quarterback. His feet get happy, and we've seen it all season long. We saw it all over his tape. Like, sure, when you're a fifth-year senior, you're smarter than everyone else on the team, and you have pros on the outside. Right. You tend to look pretty good. When that's not the case, you don't have that advantage, that mental advantage, and you're not faster than anyone else on the field. That style of play does not work, especially. It doesn't work in the NFL unless you're a superior athlete, which he is not. I um the line is Ravens minus two and a half. I'll take that. You'll take the Ravens or the Steelers? I'll take the Ravens. I, I hate this game. I hate it. I I I I plan to not cover it and walk through. I'm telling you that right now. I'm gonna try to <laughs> in walk through. I don't care about the Steelers playoff hopes. The Ravens are based on the Monday nighter, so screw that. I don't like this game. I don't like watching these teams unless Lamar's out there, but I'll take the Ravens. Uh, instead of betting on this game, I would take the $20 I would have bet on it and, and pay someone so I don't have to watch it. I, I would not pick this game at all. Give your favorite bartender a $20 tip for New Year's and thank them for their service over the course of the year and get psyched up for the Monday nighter. 
All right. Let's talk about the Monday nighter. Uh, Buffalo at Cincinnati. Uh, the Bills make the Super Bowl in 50% of our Sims if they win this, 29% if they lose it. Bengals make the Super Bowl in 25% of our Sims if they win this, and 14% if they lose this. And the line is Bills minus one, which is about as close to even as you can get. So here we go. Great teams, great offenses. Yes. It's a tough one. I, I do think like there are more questions about this Bengals offense that have kind of been ignored because they keep winning games. And then like the Bucks game was really weird in the second half. I don't think that game taught us anything about those two teams in the second half because they just kept turning the ball over and giving giving them short fields. But like over the course of the, the season, we've seen the different additions of this Bengals offense. We saw yeah. early on, it kind of looked like last year, they couldn't run the ball. They were still trying to do the, like the McVay under center stuff. Wasn't working. They went to the gun. They started running more RPOs. The, the run game was like top 10 in EPA and all and every efficiency metric. But then over the past month, and we really should have raised the red flags when they couldn't run on the Browns. Defenses have adjusted and have taken away the RPO run game by being aggressive. And now we've seen them kind of revert back into that, oh, let's just throw it up to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase outside the numbers and hope they win. Now it works because Higgins and Chase are so good and Joe Burrow is so good at those throws. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of their offense is kind of back to being that boomer bust offense they were last year. And they were able to overcome it because the defense played so well down the stretch, and especially right. in the playoffs, the defense really is the unit that carried them to the Super Bowl. And the defense is good this year, but I think the AFC is a lot stronger this year. I think the Chiefs are a better team than they were last year. I think even the Bills are a better team than they were a year ago. I don't know if that approach would be as successful this year as it was last year, especially now that teams kind of know how to how to play this team and take away those explosives. I think there are a lot more problems with this Bengals offense than, than people have realized. I'm picking the Bills in this because I think they play the type of defense that gives this offense problems. And it's on Zach Taylor to find another adjustment, a plan C. He already fan, uh, found plan B earlier in the year. And I don't have faith in him to find that plan C, at least right now. I'm a little more sanguine because I, I think that's what we saw was the plan B, the plan C. It's there when they choose to go back to it and they have to recognize that. But you're right. They don't run the ball very well anymore. I think they do a better job finding secondary, tertiary targets in the middle. This kid, Urban, has been coming around, things yeah. like that. You're seeing Barrow on the run, keeping his eyes downfield, taking some stuff underneath when he's moving around the pocket. There's a pocket to move around in, which there wasn't week ones, two, and three. That's helped. And like you said, the defense. Although, no Lyle Collins now. No, oh, that's a big Adin- deal. Adinaje at right tackle, probably. That guy never goes away, does he? That's a drop. He doesn't have a target on his back. Because teams are already attacking Collins in protection because Collins yeah. is a better run blocker and he's not the most agile guy in space. So teams are running a lot of stunts at him. Mm-hmm. They're going to run even more at, at the backup. Like it's, That's yeah. what they were doing last year in the playoffs. So it could get ugly in that regard. Yeah, I, I will point out the Bills, the Bills like defense is only 26th against wide receiver one. And they're much stronger against shorter passes than against deep passes. We've had like the in and out Trey White experience and then a bunch of other guys. And so they, they kind of Trey White has come back to being Trey White yet. No, he and he got embarrassed in that Dolphins game a couple times. He got smoked off the line by Tyreek Hill, which is like, I mean, it's gonna happen, but he wasn't even close to him. I think we're past the point where we can consider Trey White a difference maker. I think at this point right now, he's he's like a seven out of ten, eight out of ten type of player. I don't think he's he's gonna move the needle much. Right. And we didn't see much challenge. They played the Bears last week. 
And that was one of those Bills pull your hair out games where they just let the Bears linger, linger, linger in the first half, in part because they were making mistakes on offense and turning the ball over on offense. Yeah, I like the offense has been so funny to watch. Like on tape, it seems like the offense is really well designed, but Josh Allen is just so chaotic. It like over the past month, and I think it's been since the elbow injury, he's played every play like there's a minute left in the fourth quarter and he needs a touchdown and has no timeouts. Yes. And he's leaving a lot of meat on the bones in terms of like in structure offense. There are guys open downfield that he's not throwing to, but then he scrambles for 12 yards and it doesn't matter. And he's still getting stats. But I think like when you're watching, you're like, oh, this offense is too dependent on him and on his playmaking and getting outside of structure where, where really it's Allen putting that pressure on himself. And that's why you're seeing a lot of lot more mistakes. If he can get back to playing like he was over the first month when he was hitting quick game on time, like that Rams game was like, who is this Josh Allen? I've never seen it. <laughs> it's like, like Drew Brees out there. If he can get back to that, I think this is a Super Bowl team. If not, it's too volatile to trust. On a and and the Bears have a terrible defense. Right. I saw it in the second half of that game last week where they were go- they were running quick game. They were really just dumping the ball after- underneath, and they were running the ball. And then it's just like, well, this goofy near upset that we were watching the first half is over, is over, is over. I think they had to do the same thing against the Browns. Again, another team that can't stop the run. It's pretty easy underneath. They switched to that. It's just it's almost like you have to like turn the dial down on Allen against those opponents the problem is this is the Bengals you can't really turn the dial down against them and be like oh we can just run and screen our way to victory and that's that's what I need to see in this game is are they going to ramp up to this opponent yeah so I think that's like the key to the game on on one side when the Bills have the ball Allen's approach to the game turning the dial back if he can turn that dial back and be like a more normal quarterback I think they have success and then on the other side I think it's just 50 50 balls on the outside who wins them can you, can you win? Can you make them 40, 60 balls if you're the Bills? If you're the Bengals and you make them 70, 30 balls, like they're going to score 30 points. Yeah. And there were 80, 20 balls against the Patriots last week for yeah. most of the game. Well, again, the Patriots cornerbacks are all four foot eight. So <laughs> and they got bad news about the Bills cornerbacks. <laughs> That's true. So if you, if you have to pick it, Bills or Bengals, who do you think is more likely to win it? I think I would say Bills. I'm going Bills because of the coaching advantage. Oh my goodness. We got home field advantage. I do prefer the Bills coaching staff. And the Bengals will only give me a point. Boo. I'm not I will I will go with the Bills as well. Yeah. If I got a if I got three points in the Bengals, I would have jumped on that. I still still believe it in the Bills, man. I'm still believing it. I'm still number one in DVOA. Yeah. For the year. Well, crazy after all these years. All right. Let me uh just before we go, thank our sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. If you play Underdog Fantasy with us, you double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. I'm going to just skip all this written out uh, ad read and just say playoff best ball. Yes. It is playoff best ball time. Yes. This is your chance to play playoff best ball with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, Tom Stracken wrote an article at Football Outsiders yesterday with your advice for playoff best ball to pick a favorite in one conference and a scrappy wildcard team in the other conference where you can get the players late in the draft. It is playoff best ball time. Play playoff best ball at Underdog, the fastest growing fantasy site around. Underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store. Use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100 
which I believe gets you 20 playoff best ball fantasy drafts if you want in. So you should do that. Yes. Steven, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your thoughts on this week's games, the rat race of seven and eight teams, as we're calling it. And uh, hope to see you in the uh, in the playoffs and hope to see you in Phoenix. Yes, I should we'll have be to hang out. Looking forward to getting every prediction that I had on this podcast wrong. <laughs> well, we'll have you back on and we'll do a Herbert War. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We can do that right now. <laughs> and Mike, Mike will be joining me on Mondays. Mondays are going to be me and Mike from now through the playoffs. So, again, 1 o'clock Eastern live stream and podcast. Uh, Monday, me and Mike yes. from now on. Yes. So, join us. Otherwise, everybody, enjoy week 17 and enjoy skipping the Dallas win over Tennessee tonight. And happy new year. Happy new year.